The blueberry industry has come so far in the past few decades, but our panel on genetics at the recent tech symposium made it clear that we are still far from reaching the limits of our potential. We compare blueberries with nuts and avocados, for example. They have been domesticated for hundreds or thousands of years. Blueberry was domesticated just 100 years ago. And in the case of the Southern High Bush, you know, the breeding program that the University of Florida started in the 1950s. That's when the first cross was made. In that sense, I will say blueberry is a baby, and we have been working in the traditional trades to get to a point that actually the consumer is happy eating this fruit, right? But we need to go now to the next step. In today's episode, I share highlights from our recent session on technology and the consumer experience. You'll hear from four blueberry breeders about where this industry has been, where it's headed, and what will drive improvements that will shape how we delight consumers for years to come. This copyrighted podcast is presented by the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council. The opinions and views shared by those of non-paid guests on the business of blueberries are those of our guests and do not represent the views, positions, or policies of the USHBC. The blueberry industry is like no other, passionate, resilient, and innovative. This podcast is your source for the latest information on the management, markets, research, and technology related to blueberry production. This is the business of blueberries. Here's your host, president of the U.S. Highbush Blueberry Council, Casey Cronquist. Welcome back to another episode of the Business of Blueberries, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to the blueberry industry. Today's episode is all about the advancements in genetics, what factors are driving those genetics forward. This is such an important and complex part of our industry that can impact every step along the way, from research to the farm, to the supply chain, to the consumer. I really enjoyed hosting this panel called Technology and the Consumer Experience at this year's Tech Symposium at Innovate 2021. There was so much knowledge and wisdom shared that we wanted to distill it down into some of today's highlights for this week's episode. You're going to hear from Ridley Bell, Patricio Munoz, Adam Wagner, and Paul Sandifer. No matter what your interest is in blueberries, there is something in this episode for everyone. First, we're going to start with one of the fixtures in global blueberry breeding, Ridley Bell. We had Ridley on the podcast back in episode 47, and it's also a must listen to if you haven't already. But over the course of his accomplished career, Ridley has witnessed the evolution of the blueberry industry from a dessert ingredient to a healthy and delicious staple in many households. 46 years ago, when I started, I was very naive and uh, I walked through seedlings and I was naive enough to believe that flavor was the most important thing. And and even my friends uh, that I met in America who said, Ridley, blueberries are not for eating fresh, there for making pies. What are you worried about? And I remember in Florida one time, a grower there said to me when I said to him, why are you putting pink blueberries in the punnet? Why why aren't you putting good eating ones? He said, because people don't eat blueberries. People eat them in pies and in jellies and jams. And I said, well, the reason they don't eat them is because you don't give them anything that's worthwhile eating. <laughs> and uh, for me, that passion for flavour, has driven me for 46 years. And it's not only been my career, it's been my vocation. Now, I would argue that it's been even more than a vocation for Ridley. It has been a mission to develop blueberries that are not only healthy, but delicious as well. His efforts, as well as those of others, are leading to a market that recognizes and rewards quality. 
you know, back in the late 90s when all the information came out about the antioxidants and, and all the health benefits, all of a sudden people started to eat blueberries because they wanted to be healthy. But I remember John Shelford in 2004 at the uh, Vaccinium Symposium in Spain where John said, at the end of the day, people won't just eat blueberries because they're healthy because there's lots of other fruits that you can eat to be healthy. He said, they will grow in their eating and they will eat lots of blueberries if they are good to eat. And so what's happened here in Australia, and I might add, Casey, we're growers as well as um, breeders, as well as marketers in a nursery, but we have several hundred acres of blueberries here. So, you know, I look at it both from a grower point of view and from a breeding point of view. And what's happened here in Australia and uh, and when I talk to our licensees around the world, because we've got people growing our varieties in over 20 countries, and the point that keeps coming out from them is that the quality thing is segregating the industry. So our premium variety, our Eureka variety, we put in a punnet and, and the second biggest supermarket in Australia, Coles, they, they focus on our uh, premium blueberries and we're getting 70% premium price for the premium fruit over the standard fruit. I hear the same in other countries where it might be 50% or 30%, but you give a good quality product, you're going to get a good price. To continue to come up with innovative ideas and insights as to where the industry might be headed, Ridley says he watches another fresh produce industry. The thing that Tom and I watch very carefully, if I can say this, is not other blueberries, but we watch the grape industry because for us, the grape industry today is where we want to be in the coming years. And if you look at some of the grape varieties out now, like Sweet Globe or Autumn Crisp or others, and we, we measure the firmness of those, we measure the bricks of those, and we look at what is it that's making these the premium grapes. And so, you know, I heard recently that in some countries there was an article, I think it was in Fruit Portal, where growers were being told in some South American countries don't grow the old varieties. You've got to grow Sweet Globe or you've got to grow Autumn Crisp. And it's the uh, market is demanding it. The consumer, particularly the educated consumer, is demanding the varieties. With more and more consumers eating blueberries around the world with diverse preferences, the breeding process is even more complex than ever. Ridley says after flavor, crunch, size, and shelf life are increasing in importance. Even on our, we take a sheet out into the field to uh, you know, mark down the different characteristics. And one of the things on our flavour characteristic in the field, and, and I'm not talking about in the laboratory where we measure bricks and acidity and stuff like that, but in the field, one of the things we ask ourselves is, is this a sort of a European flavour, you know, higher in acidity, or is it an Asian flavour? And we actually tick the box, Asian or, or whatever, or is it a a flavour that would be preferable for the United States. And so, and please, Casey, don't ask me what that flavour is. <laughs> but, but we do look at the flavour thing from that point of view. The crunch thing, we believe, is becoming more and more important. And as I spoke about just a moment ago, that density of the flesh, as distinct from just a pop in the skin, I think is going to give the uh, varieties much more durability in terms of machine harvesting, running them over packing lines, and then long-term shipping. So we are, will not put a ribbon on anything in the field now 
if it doesn't have really good crunch and preferably a very dense flesh. We're looking at fruit size, and in some markets, China's a good example where the uh, jumbo berries are bringing a very good premium again over the standard berries. And so there's a push on now for jumbo berries, but not just jumbos, but jumbos that taste good, jumbos that have a good bloom, and jumbos that have a solid crunch to them as well. We also look at shelf life because, as I said before, if, you know, if you're in a country where you're geared to export, then you're going to be looking at shelf life. And so the bloom becomes important there as well as part of the shelf life. So we do uh, look at that and we do rate that. Well, thank you to Ridley. And we have a lot more here to discuss when it comes to genetics and the consumer experience. We'll definitely talk more about the flavor, crunch, shelf life, and more with other breeders in this panel. But before we do, it's time for our crop report. The harvest is ramping up in South America. So here, once again, is your blueberry crop report. It's time for your blueberry crop report, an update on crop conditions and markets from important blueberry growing areas. Today, you'll hear from Luis Vegas in Peru and Federico Baia in Argentina. This was recorded on October 27th, 2021. Yeah, I have uh, the crop report from Argentina. My name is Federico. I'm vice president for ABC, Argentina Blueberry Committee. The information for week 41, which is, was last week, uh, Argentina shipped a total of 2.3 million pounds. Out of that, uh, 62% went to the US market. Uh, that makes us in total at this point uh, in all the season, 8.7 million pounds. And out of that, 4.7 million went to the US, which is 55%. So this is the, the crop we report for week 41. Hello, this is Luis with the Peru crop report up until the end of week 41, which is the week uh, ending on October 17th. So up until uh, week 41 of the season, Peru has shipped a total of 279 million pounds of fresh blueberries worldwide. From this overall volume, 55% has been shipped to the US, 28% to Europe, 14% to China, and 3% to other destinations. During week 41, a total of 24.5 million pounds were shipped. 54% of this volume was shipped to the US with 13.1 million pounds, which are expected to arrive the US market during the first and second week of November. Our latest forecast for season 2021-2022 well, we're expecting to grow uh, by 43% compared to the previous season. And uh, regarding the different markets, we're expecting to grow by 48% in our shipments to the US. Uh, finally, from the overall volume shipped from Peru this season, uh, we are expecting that 9% is gonna be shipped organic. So this is our crop report from Peru. Thank you. Well, thank you so much to our colleagues who take time to participate in this report. As a reminder, you can go to the new USHBC website where you'll find our data and insight center to see more data of what's happening in the blueberry industry. We've made the snapshot view of USDA data on production and price an online resource for everyone to access easily and quickly. Make sure you go to ushbc.org forward slash data to check that out. 
Our next panelist is another former guest of the business of blueberries. Patricio Munoz, you've heard back in episode 31 talking about VACCAP. He's a blueberry breeder at the University of Florida and says the stakes for him and his fellow breeders have never been higher. You know, I think blueberry breeders at this point are under a, a lot of pressure. Let me start with that. We're at a point that the industry is demanding high quality cultivars. And I think this was already stated by, by the panelists before me. In the case of southern high bush, they rotate a lot faster than the northern high bush. You know, we put a southern high bush and they don't last as long as the northern high bush that you can have it in the ground for 30 and 50 years. So the rotation of, of cultivars is a lot faster. That means that you require more cultivars and, and hopefully the new ones are coming with better characteristics. I think the importance of the southern high bush is getting uh, more relevant recently with large projects around the globe that you know, are investing in this uh, category and they are highly profitable. And that's why, you know, industry keeps pushing in that direction, I would say. So we work very closely to the industry to learn those trends, uh, what's happening. And at the same time, to as breeders, you know, we always work with the future. So to learn what do we need to be crossing, because whenever we are making a cross, it's going to be from something that's going to be released in the best case scenario, probably in seven years. But most likely it's going to be 15 years, you know, in, in, if you are using traditional tools. Patricio says, when you consider how long it takes to develop these genetics and how young the domesticated blueberry is relative to other crops, we are still at the early days of what's possible for blueberries. I think you cannot disregard the traditional traits like size, firmness, you know, color. But however, I think it's getting more and more relevant that we need to focus on the consumer. I think this already was pointed out again by the panelists. And the consumers are demanding two things, flavor, and the new consumers are demanding functional foods, functional fruits. With this, it means that the food needs to have an additional advantage. You cannot just eat it because it's good, but also they are demanding that the food is, you know, has higher nutritional levels, that they provide something else. In the case of blueberries, it's already a superfood. And that comes with a lot of marketing you know, and that we know that very well here in the U.S. and globally, that's been used actually to increase the consumer preference for blueberries over other fruit. And at the same time, with a lot of investment in medical studies to show that actually this is not based on, you know, in a fragile uh, floor, but actually has a strong basis that these blueberries will have a benefit for you over just that they are good and they are nice for you, right? So the question arises that, why are we uh, not working directly toward those traits? And in my opinion, I think the answer is, or one of the answers could be, blueberry is a baby. If you consider from the point of view of domestication and the point of view of, of breeding, think about this only. We compare blueberries with nuts and avocados, for example. They have been domesticated for hundreds or thousands of years. Blueberry was domesticated just 100 years ago. And in the case of the Southern High Bush, you know, the breeding program that the University of Florida started in the 1950s. That's when the first cross was made. And the first cultivar was released in 1976, you know, Sharp Blue, which is the first Southern High Bush cultivar. And with that, you know, a lot of crosses start being made, a lot of introgression from the Northern material with the material from the South. A lot of seeds were, you know, sent to different parts of the globe. And nowadays, just for you to have an idea, you know, almost every single cultivar of the Southern High Bush is not separated more than two generations from the process that was made here at the University of Florida. 
in that sense, I will say blueberry is a baby, and we have been working in the traditional trades to get to a point that actually the consumer is happy eating this fruit, right? But we need to go now to the next step. So what's the next step? Patricio says part of it is exploring the trove of flavors or the flavor chest, as he calls it, to come up with new ways to delight consumers. Now we, we understand a lot better what is flavor. It's not just sugar and acids. We are a lot of data driven here in, in, in our program. So we are been working and understanding this. And then the volatile components, you know, you have over 50, close to 100 different volatile components. The combination of them is like one trillion combinations that you can make. I think Ridley was just mentioning that. You know, in the Salen High Bush, you have a lot of variability for flavors, aromas. So we are working in that area. Not just that we like it, but we are using the information from the testing panels to confirm the liking of the, of the breeder, because at the end of the day, we are just one person, right? And even when we use our kids or grandkids, like in the case of Ridley, uh, we also have a broad, very broad population and flavor is very subjective. Very, so what I like, sometimes I like a lot something, and you know, the person that's riding with me in the, in the field doesn't like it because flavor is very subjective, varies a lot from person to person. So the future is, is exploring this flavor chest that we have in Southern High Bush at least, and then working more in functionality of the fruit. So in the case of us, it's nutraceutical characteristics. Bringing up all those levels of those chemicals that the blueberries are already good, bringing it up a lot higher. At least that's what we're gonna be working on. Getting back to something Ridley said about watching the grape industry to understand where to go next, Patricio adds that, well, that can be helpful. Blueberries still have a long way to go before reaching the levels of today's grape varieties. Again, grapes has been domesticated for, you know, thousands of years in reality compared with uh, blueberries that is just 100 years. I think the work of, of people like Ridley, you know, Paul Larine and a lot of people that came has been doing work, it was for basic trades to get to the point that this fruit actually could stay in the shelf of the supermarket. And now we are at the point that actually we can start looking at more trades that are more important. The traditional way that this has been done is like looking plants in the field. In our case, you know, we put the plants in the field and in one point we put them across the whole state and including, you know, south part of Georgia. And then, you know, we put them actually to mother nature to to put all the diseases. In our case, we are very fortunate because Florida is a point of entrance for every single disease that exists for blueberries. So, and if we don't have it, I'm gonna go check tomorrow and we might have it. So our plants are very exposed. And so whenever we select something that we, we know that is resistant to, that can be grown and be, uh, be gross in the field, you know, we know it's gonna work. Now, the issue that we face is that you know, we have emerging diseases, no kidding, all the time. We're having new diseases coming. So we get, you know, resistant for two, three uh, diseases, and then it's a new coma, a new pest. So the, the environment that we breed for is very challenging for the plants. And then that's one of the reasons that all varieties, you know, and the sun and high bush, many of the varieties, they do well around the globe. And I guess it's, it's because of that. So... The second point, very briefly, blueberry is a tetraploid species. It's, it's not that easy to, to actually to do the genetics and then finding, you know, one resistant gene for just to say it, and then try to introgress it into the material that we are using. It takes a lot longer than in the case of grapes, which are diploid species. We are developing methodologies to screen diseases or pests, but 
again, managing expectation. That's been is in the process. We are trying to get there. It's certainly no easy task that these blueberry breeders have to deal with on a daily basis. They have to consider the farmer's agronomic needs, the consumer's preferences, and they have to worry about the supply chain and making sure that the berries have enough of a shelf life post-harvest to not deteriorate before making it to the customer. That's something Oregon Blueberry and Nursery Breeding Manager Adam Wagner is thinking a lot about. As far as trends for breeding programs related to technology, I would say that storage life is a big one. You know, we're shipping blueberries around the world. We need to be able to store longer. You know, the the best genetics have to work in tandem with the technology. So what you want to do is you want to have the technology, for instance, understanding the cold chain and the importance of not breaking cold chain, because you can lose the uniqueness of your variety if it's not handled properly. So even the best genetics can fall down if not handled properly. And that's where I really see the marriage and development together between technology and genetics. Two areas of breeding that are particularly tricky are evaluating varieties for disease resistance and water quality. Tom Avanellis brought this up in the Q&A portion of our panel, and Adam thought this might be an area that substrate growing can help with. One of the reasons I like the, the substrate growing idea is that you can change your water quality and expose them to subpar water quality, salinity or what have you. And that may be a good way of doing it, something I'm thinking about. The problem with disease resistance is that truly, I mean, Patricio's got it good there. He's got all kinds of diseases that are just everywhere. <laughs> but if you really want to test it, disease resistance, you've got to introduce that disease into that population. Well, we're probably not inclined to want to do that where we're testing our selections and whatnot. But I have found that growers that do struggle with certain viruses, and some of them are willing for me to put potted plants in their fields to test. It's not an exact science, but it certainly gives you some indication, canary in a coal mine kind of thing. But uh yeah, I think to go circle back to the last question, Casey, is it doesn't need to be an exact number. It needs to be a consensus. You know, it might not be every aspect of the industry, but it's going to be certainly growers are an important one. So there's kind of a, a almost a ranking. So a majority of growers are complaining about X, Y, Z. That's pretty important to a breeder because that's where everything starts, right? And maybe those things don't affect quality all the way down the line or whatever it is. So you may hear it less at the you know downstream rather than upstream. So it's it's really kind of a careful listening, which I think all breeders are good at. Either that or it turns into yelling. Adam's of course joking there about yelling at each other, but there's a good underlying point there. We're all in this together. The entire industry can't be advancing by just genetics alone. Every step in the value chain needs to work together to make sure that blueberries are always known for consistent quality. It's not one component of this whole industry. It's all of it together. And we have to all get on the same page. Me deciding that, you know, I want consistent quality throughout all of my varieties, you know, only goes so far. If technology isn't going to get improved to the point where we can make that last, get it to market and have quality as a consistent 
attribute, then I think that is going to be the downfall or not downfall, but a shortfall. And I think that's what we need to be thinking about all the time. Thank you to Adam for those comments. We have one more panelist to hear from who will send us home with a charge of how we can accomplish what Adam was just alluding to there. But first, it's time for our marketing boost. We'll be right back in a moment. But for now, here's USHBC, NABC, Vice President of Marketing and Communications, Jennifer Sparks. Thanks, Casey. This past weekend, I went to a movie, a documentary actually called The Rescue, which documents the 2018 cave rescue in Thailand of a youth football team and their coach. Even though I knew the outcome of the story that was all over the news for weeks back then, this film was emotional and riveting to me. It takes you intimately into the mission and connects you deeply with members of the rescue team and what they experienced. But that's what a good filmmaker does. They are experts at telling a story. And storytelling is also critical in effectively marketing a product, service, or company. It's no longer just about selling. It's about packaging and positioning your message in a way that engages your audience and captures attention. Yes, consumers know that blueberries are healthy and a good choice to buy. But to get them to take action, we have to connect with them in different ways. To validate their love for the berry. Give them new ways to indulge throughout the day and help them learn more about the benefits, innovation, and people behind the industry. Here at USHBC, we're consistently looking at new and different strategies to break through the noise of today's cluttered marketing landscape. Our new 2022 Marketing and Promotion Plan reflects key learnings and insights to do just that. Stay tuned for more news on our new programs that you can tie into. For now, as you plan for the coming year, remember... Whether B2B or B2C, compelling your audiences to pay attention to your message is vital, and it starts with good content. How are you telling your story? This has been your Marketing Boost. Thank you for your partnership, as together we inspire the world to grab a boost of blue. Casey, back to you. Thanks, Jenny. Now back to finish up with our genetics panel with Fall Creek Farm and Nursery Breeding Manager, Paul Sandifer. You've heard a bit from Paul a couple of episodes ago where we shared the tech symposium highlights, but you didn't hear this part where I asked Paul what we can do as an industry to help advance the development of better genetics for growers and consumers. I think the main way that you could help would probably be providing that on the ground, full plant, full system perspective. And so a lot of researchers and breeders, even in, in the public and private sphere, we get pretty isolated in our silos. And we're scientists, geneticists, and really can focus on what we're seeing in one location or in one specific group of, of material. And bringing that broader perspective, I think would have a lot of value to that. And, and as part of the VaxCap project you mentioned, uh, one of the parts of that project is looking at sensory analysis. So they got a full team of researchers that are looking at what does the consumer really perceive when they're eating these fruits? How's that got a socioeconomic impact? But what was really, I thought was really interesting is they reached out to the industry to find that fruit and to source that fruit. We got to be part of that in the Pacific Northwest, provide fruit to the VaxCap project for their sensory analysis. And I think it, it kind of broadens their perspective on the varieties that are out there, the different types of fruit that are out there, and really the, the data they're going to generate from that, I think will have more impact because it covered a wider swath of the genetic material that's available. New advancements in technology and genetics are going to open more and more doors for our industry. But overall, it's going to be the consumer demand that drives where things go from here. 
Progress takes time, but as an industry, we can help streamline it as much as possible if we can all work together. We have to be able to answer the questions. And we need to know what inspires innovation, what pushes innovation, and a big part of that is demand. And if there is a demand from the grower for specific traits in, in fruit quality or specific disease resistance, making that well known and working with us to get you those plants either before their released variety, so you can trial them on your farm, or when it is a new variety, just be frank and say, is it going to get shocked next year? You know, and then you can say, well, what's the parentage? I know cargo is very susceptible to shock. Is this going to do the same thing? And then we can have that debate. Because that's really, I think, where it starts. My specific farm, I can't answer that because we don't have the shock pressure where we do the developing. We can't answer a lot of those questions until we get them out into those trials. And a lot of the stuff we put out, like Patricio mentioned, is we want to get varieties out quickly. Fast is seven years, but it could also take 15 Right? And, and for the most part, we can't wait, us as a company and us as an industry, we can't wait that long to bring varieties forward and get them out. We got to do it faster so we can initiate that and have that integrated trialing with the grower. Thank you again to Paul Sandifer, Adam Wagner, Patricio Munoz, and Ridley Bell for sharing these insights with us. Genetics is such a central part of everything we do, and I really appreciate hearing from these dynamic blueberry breeders. There's really so much to be excited for about the future of blueberries. If you weren't able to join us in Salem for Innovate 2021, I hope these tech symposium highlights from last week and this week were helpful for you to get a sense of what you might have missed at the recent tech symposium. For those of you who attended, I hope it was a fun look back on some of the best parts of our week together. That's it for episode 71. I hope today's episode inspired you on all of the exciting possibilities yet ahead for blueberries. I would love to hear from any of you who are inspired by this year's tech symposium that are taking action with some of this innovation and technology there at your company. If so, maybe we'd love to have you on a podcast. We'd love to hear from our audience anytime. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with more innovation, collaboration, family, and hard work right here on the Business of Blueberries. 